The second round is in full swing and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part is that it's free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I'm joined as always by Nick Horwat. Buddy, it's been, we're halfway through right now, our roster interview, and we talked about a lot of the forwards, and it just reminds me of how frustrating it was that this team wasn't able to have more success, because we have a lot of positive things to say about the Pittsburgh Penguins roster, because it was a pretty positive season up until the postseason. I mean, they still played extremely well in the postseason, but the more I look at this past season, the more frustrating it gets that there were no great results in the postseason. Yeah, uh, and you can't even put the blame on the people we've been talking about in the postseason. Sure, the first line could have scored more. Sure. That's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Basically. That was the only other downside aside from goaltending. I mean... Yeah, it, it was a great postseason all in all, and it was a great regular season all in all. In fact, I was just looking at the standings of, uh, you know, the NHL. It's uh, Let's think about it. I mean, we're going into the, the top four, final four, with a two four seeds, a three, who really shouldn't be a three, but it's the way the cookie crumbles, and a one or a two. Like, what happened this season exactly? I mean, it shows that the NHL is very balanced, and it also shows that the NHL has the best playoff system in all of professional sports. But this isn't even the regular just... system, though. Like, exactly. That's... I mean, it... <laughs> I think that's the better part because there were two teams that oh, weren't they outright better than the Canadians this year? Weren't the Flyers and Rangers? The Rangers. Oh, they both came from the East too. Uh, if there's one prediction anyone got right this year is that the East was going to be the best division. But, yeah, th- th- this has been a wild, wild situation. Uh, so, yeah, let's everyone just enjoy the playoffs, right? Even yeah, we only the good, have a couple weeks left of it. Even though all the good teams are out. I wouldn't say all the good teams. I, I still believe oh, Tampa. that T- Tampa and then the Western Conference, or not the Western Conference, the Western Division, 
champion is is still a very good mm -hmm. team. But what we're going to do during today's episode is we're going to continue with our roster in review, and we're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins defense and, and the top six that was for the Penguins once they finally got them all healthy after about a month and a half into the season. So we'll talk about the Pens defense, and we'll close out the show as we do every Monday episode with our weekly Pens poll. But let's start on the backside with the bottom pairing and Marcus Pedersen. He has four years remaining on that massive deal that he signed, still at $4 million per season for him. I would imagine that he's still, to you, as he is to me, not lived up to his first full season as a Pittsburgh Penguin. When he came over from Anaheim, he played extremely well in that first season. We looked at him as the next Brian Dumoulin. I think a lot of people had that inclination, but since then, he's kind of fallen off a cliff. Of course, finding time on the third pairing and being deployed as a third pairing defenseman, and even then, still struggling a little bit this year, but towards the end of the season, he was able to pick it back up start to trend much into a better direction, but there's still a lot of holes in his game. Horat, what did you think about the Dragon this season? Um, thought he played okay. Once the wheels kind of started getting turning, I guess you could put it, once everyone got healthy, once everyone caught their groove, um, thought he did fine because it's uh, not easy being the third-line guy when you're getting paid like, uh, like the way he is. I mean... For, yeah, for being the fourth highest paid defenseman on the team, soon to be the fifth at least. Uh, next season, that'd be a lot of money to be putting down in your third pairing. It's not ideal, yeah. honestly, because that is a lot of money. That is a lot of tenure between those two guys for not your worst pairing. They're not technically your worst. They're more of a, especially these two, they did play well together. I'm not in any way shaming any of this. Uh, Marcus Pedersen is damn worth his four million john marino will be worth his four four i'm just saying for a third pairing it's a lot but so be it they both played well I mean, Pedersen's who we're focusing on and you know i get he was the butt of trade talks all year but someone has to be and he is the most likely option even still now i think so who knows what exactly happens with him um yeah, he played well. I mean, he's we've realized he's not going to be a an offensive threat. I think we've all put this. No. We've all realized this. I mean, 20 assists last season um, is very good, and 17 in the 57 he played uh, with us the year prior. Those are good numbers. Those are very good puck moving numbers, and kind of what we want to see. But I mean, last season he had that ex that little extra jump, maybe because I mean he had to outplay Justin Schultz and John and. Uh, Jack Johnson. Mm -hmm. So, someone had to do it. <laughs> uh, and, it was, and it just happened to be him. Sure, they things take a dip, but he's still a defenseman. You can't take offensive numbers completely into question when it comes to defensemen. So, uh, yeah, I think he was still a very productive and a still very stable part of this defense for an unstable team. Yeah, he's clearly a defensive defenseman, and there's no problem with that. We on this show and we'll get into him in a little bit later but Brian Dumoulin mm -hmm. we think is one of the best defensive defensemen on the Penguins and probably up there is the third or fourth most integral player for the Pittsburgh Penguins year in and year out these past couple seasons so there's nothing at fault with being a defensive defenseman but I still think there are some holes in Pedersen's game that need to be rounded out for him to be able to live up 
to the contract that he signed a couple off seasons ago. He's not very strong on the puck. We did find that this season. That was very much exploited by a lot of teams, especially in a heavier set East division. Teams like the Capitals, the Bruins, and the Islanders, they kind of had their way with Pedersen a little bit, knocking him off the puck, making him feel a little bit more uncomfortable. And then also in a system that Todd Reardon really wants to expect players to come out and pinch and jump up in the rush, Marcus Pedersen's not the greatest at doing that. His decision-making on when to pinch and when to stay back, there were a couple moments this season, I don't even want to say a couple, there were more than a couple moments this season where his indecision got him in trouble and it kind of screwed his defensive partner, John Marino, whenever that happened. So there's a lot to work on if you're Marcus Pedersen, but I still think the fundamentals are there. I still think he's the same player that came over from Anaheim and played extremely well for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I, I do still see the Penguins protecting him in the expansion draft. I know we're not doing a mock expansion draft here, but I still see him being the third defenseman protected by the Penguins for the sole purpose of not of having him on the trade block, of being able to possibly trade that because I think he has a higher trade value than, say, a Mike Matheson, somebody else that could be on the, uh, the bubble for expansion protection because Matheson is the better defenseman and he does do better things for the Penguins, but if you're going to lose someone for free, it's going to be the Mike Matheson contract. That's the one you're going to get off the books for free with Seattle. So I would say that they protect Pedersen if for no other reason than to keep that trade chip. And also the issue with him is, is he, his cap space and that third pair left D is a spot that PO Joseph could take next season. So it's an interesting story for Pedersen this off season. We'll see if he gets protected. That's the first thing that's going to come up. We'll see if he comes up in trade rumors or gets traded. That's the second thing that comes up. And then when training camp rolls around, is he going to be able to fend off P.O. Joseph? Uh, will Cody Cece be back on the left side? There's a lot of questions for the second and third pair on the left side that Marcus Pedersen is kind of in the center of all of them. Right. It's, I mean, we went over it um, not too long ago, and we're probably going to get to it a couple times during this discussion. Our defensive depth right now is not that deep. So he is a necessity as it stands. Yeah, P.O. Joseph can come up and take it, but, I mean, just depends on how ready everyone is for him. And then because beyond that, who do we really have on the left side and who do we really have on the right side? It's thin in areas. Let's put it that way. And I still don't understand. And let me double check that he's a left defenseman, but I still don't understand why we don't have any trust in a guy like Yuso Rikula. I, 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 like I said, I have to check what position he plays, if he's left or right, but he's not played poorly in any of the times that he has been on the ice. So he shoots lefty, so yeah, he's, he's a left defenseman. Okay, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I don't know what it is with us and uh, not playing Ricola, but it's just a casualty, I guess. I mean, we signed him... To, we still signed him for whatever reason, so he's going to be around. But um, for what it's worth, we just don't – some for some reason, we just don't look at him as a day-in and day-out player. So mm-hmm. if that's the case, I'm not going to either. I'm sorry. I just – is the way it is. He played two games this year. He played about as much ice time as Yannick Weber, who we won't be talking about here because, well, first of all – He's already gone. He wasn't in the top six. And – he's already in Switzerland so there's that 
Yeah, so... I mean, Rikola still has a year left on his contract, so that is an option if the Penguins decide they want to move on from Pedersen. There haven't been many talks as of yet about Pedersen being on the block this offseason, just what we heard during the regular season about him being a potential trade asset. But we'll keep an eye out on that, and let's talk about his defensive partner, who had a really, really big sophomore slump this year, especially at the beginning of the season. It looked like his slump was going to be extremely bad. But luckily, again, similar to Pedersen, he stepped his game up towards the end of the season. Only three goals and 13 points for John Marino on the season in 53 games, which is only half of the amount of points that he had last season. And he played, you know, in the same amount of games. He played in 53 games last season and had half as many points. Or sorry, 56 games and had twice as many points. He had 26 points last season in 56 games. So, it's a regression on the offensive side for a defenseman. And also it looked defensively like he wasn't as sturdy as he was. It was unfortunate too, because he had just come off of signing a long contract, six years at $4 million a piece. We were ecstatic that he got locked up before this off season, because that we thought was going to be a hard contract to sign after another good season by Marino. But right now, you know, he played last season under a $900,000 cap hit. He struggled but now it's time to, you know, rubber meets the road. His big contract takes effect next season, $4.4 million for six years. And like you mentioned, if you keep Pedersen and Marino and they are your third pairing, that's over $8 million for your third pairing. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, this season was a, we'll let this, we'll let this season be an exception because of the Matheson deal had to kind of slide into the second spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and CC didn't make a ton of money and he overplayed what everyone expected. So yeah, he was going to be on the second line. Yeah. It's just the way the two, it's just the way Patterson and Marino struggled to really start the season. Um, it forced their hands into putting them on that third pairing and it worked out for what it is worth. I mean, they played phenomenally. I mean, they Marino here still averaged over 20 minutes a game. So it's, it's not like they weren't getting playing time. It's uh, just a matter of a number sake there. And, I mean, let's be honest, if Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz didn't just, you know, completely crap out last season, they probably would have been the – those Pedersen and Marino probably would have been the third pairing last year too, just because of, at that reason, probably age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not having the experience yet. But um, for now – I feel like going forward, I'm confident in them being a third pairing for sure, especially if it's if it's the exact same six. I liked that defense. I'm not going to say I didn't. It's just every year I'm assuming those two will improve. So that those two starting off the season as a third pairing, I don't hate it. And then going from there, I think you know we just got to see what happens with Matheson and Cece, who also played fair, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, we'll get into Madison yeah. and CC, but before that, I do have a question. Last season, as we mentioned, the bulk majority of the season, John Marino had Marcus Pedersen to his left. Would you rather, if they're all, if they all come back, we'll, we'll put in that mm-hmm. caveat. If all of these players are on the team at training camp and at the start, outset of the season, would you rather Pedersen stay on that side with Marino, or would you rather see what John, uh, sorry, P.O. Joseph looks like on the left side of John Marino? It's weird because they're both puck-moving defensemen. They both like to lug the puck a little bit. But which would you rather see, Pedersen or Joseph on the left side? I want to see Joseph more, I guess. It's just been a while. Um, yeah, he had plenty of time at the beginning of this year, but 
we just didn't go back to the well at any point. Um, that's a really hard one. I would guess Patterson just because, I mean, you're paying him the money. Injuries are bound to happen. Joseph will get his playing time. But I think because of the money, I mean, this is the only time I think I've ever seen our defensive cap numbers go up next year. Yeah. With because of Marino's four million dollar uh, new contract, and that's with Yannick Weber going out, and as of right now, at least Cece going out, because those are the only two defensemen we're losing contract wise. Everyone else is sticking around, so our we're going from twenty six to twenty eight million. So we got to figure something out there. If that's the situation, then I mean, I'm not saying you force the trade with Pedersen, but you kind of have to do something with that. And play Marino because he's going to be cheaper. And who knows? He might be better. It's just a matter of seeing it play out. I want to see Joseph play a little more before I can really answer that question. But for now, I guess I'm just saying Pedersen because you're paying him. He does have the experience. And, um, yeah, that's, that's those are the two reasons I need right now. When we mentioned that the Penguins don't have great depth on the blue line we're not talking about at the nhl level there's a log jam at the nhl level and especially when you look at the cap hits there is a lot of money tied up in the penguins top six if you know if cc comes back and gets any type of a pay upgrade he's going to be the lowest paid defenseman in this core uh, in this starting six with probably close to two million dollars so that makes it difficult especially when you have guys like Pedersen Marino who didn't perform to their capabilities, you have a guy like Matheson that, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. But also, when we're talking about Pedersen Marino, if Pedersen isn't with John Marino and you move him up to play with, say, Mike Matheson and you put Joseph on Marino's side, but if you switch that, again, you're putting Joseph with somebody else that's going to be a puck mover. So he's going to have to get out of that role. I just think Marino is a little less of a puck mover, which is why Joseph would acclimate a little bit better because we saw what Joseph did whenever he played alongside Chris Letang. He started to struggle a little bit because the game went through Letang much more than it went through Joseph, and Joseph's better when the puck's on his stick. But we won't keep harping on P.O. Joseph. We just are both extremely excited to watch this kid come up next season and hopefully have another shot of 15 games, maybe 30 games, who knows, maybe a whole season next year. We'll have to see how it plays out. But let's talk about one of those two defensemen that you said their contract comes up. Yannick Weber's gone. Cody Ceci is a question mark going into this offseason. He's an unrestricted free agent. We talked about him in our 3Ms. Both of us said that you must sign Cody Ceci after the season that he had. He was one of the Penguins' best defensemen. He had kind of an awakening in Pittsburgh. Who knows how much he weighs into that whenever he goes into his negotiations. But it was one of his best seasons of his career last year. He was fantastic in his own zone. He was pretty good in the offensive zone as well. And the only reason I see him not coming back is the Penguins not feeling like they can afford him or Cody Cece just simply outpricing his way out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, that's why I looked up the... uh, That's why I looked up his agent because I wanted to see if that would have been a possibility. And Mm -hmm. while it doesn't seem like it'll be a a real possibility because he is still Cody CC and you do still kind of have to take his um, few seasons before here into question. You really do. There's just, he plays right. He plays on the right side and there's just no one 
really right now. I mean, like I said, we have Chad Ruedel, yes. Are you ready for him to be a full-time player? Maybe not. There's Mark Friedman, who um, Ron Hexall seems to like a lot, but are you ready to stick him into the lineup full-time? Have we seen enough from him? That's, and then that's it, because then you then you have to go dig into the well of the AHL or your um, recent signings of Joshua Maniscalco as your next right winger or right side uh, defenseman. So, yeah, Cody Cease is a big decision to make, but I would assume worse comes worse. He's not, he's a guy that I'm not gonna be torn up over if we lose him. By the way. Yeah, if he goes, it would be unfortunate because of how important he was to the team last year and how well he played. But like we mentioned, there's a lot of good names here, and you do have to make room for P.O. Joseph somewhere. I'm not sure how uh, losing a right defenseman makes room for a left defenseman, but we'll have to see. I did accidentally have Matheson and CeCe switched on their side, so that changes a lot of my thought process from the last question. But no, Cody CeCe was a solid compliment to Mike Matheson. Matheson was at his best when he was playing with CeCe. And kind of conversely, the other way around, CeCe was at his best when he was playing with Mike Matheson. It was just a good complement of a stay-at-home defenseman and a puck-moving, great-skating offensive defenseman. And they worked out really well for the Penguins, much better than anybody could have imagined coming into the season. I mean, at this point, six months ago, in January 10th, three days before the season was supposed to start, could we have ever imagined we were talking about Cody CeCe and Mike Matheson being the most consistent, I wouldn't say consistent, but being a huge role in why the Penguins' defense was so good this year. No, they were giving us shades of the uh, good Branson and Johnson pairing whenever that was a thing. Yeah. But these guys turned out to not be two louts, and at least Mm -hmm. one of them could really skate. I mean, if when we get to him, we'll have that discussion. But for Cody Ceci, I mean, you just it's all about using him in the correct role. I really think that's it. We saw Toronto attempt to use him on the first pairing with Morgan Riley who yes talented talented defenseman but not in the defensive part of the game Cody Cece can play a little defense but just not at a first line level not not when you're sticking him out there in your starting five of I don't know who their starting line is exactly but you know it's Marner Matthews whoever Riley none of those guys are playing defense you are leaving it all to cody cc and he cannot do that you can't be the mm-hmm. only guy playing defense on your team whereas you stick cody cc here second line should have been third but who cares second line performed just fine he's playing with the second line he's not out there with crosby or malkin's line as much he's out there with the defensive line with the fourth line everything is getting mm-hmm. shut down in front of him he doesn't have much to do defensively so because um, let's be real, we did see CC get burned a couple of times this year. Yeah, there it was not a hundred percent, you know, sunshine and roses with Cody CC all year, but the overwhelming majority was. Yeah, definitely was, and it was early on that it was bad, and then he really kind of found his groove and picked it up toward the end of the year, mm-hmm. um, to a near perfect end of the season. I mean, didn't CC have an own goal somewhere early on in the season? He did. See, he did. Like, now, that was in the midst of him playing a game, being sat as a healthy scratch, back, and back in, and forth with Mike Matheson. And then back in because back of injuries. Injury. Yeah, it's, that was one good thing. I mean, yeah, it didn't. Yeah, last the first three games and that was it, but it was good to see Sullivan take it upon himself to healthy scratch these guys, yeah. at least. But I don't know. For what it's worth, it really could go either way with them. 
It, it could. And let's go to his defense partner because you mentioned a little bit about him earlier saying, you know, really, really great skater, and that's Mike Matheson. Matheson, of course, this is his first season of what's going to be plenty of seasons on this contract unless the Penguins somehow, you know, maneuver and get rid of it, whether that be expansion draft this year, whether that be a trade at any point in the next, what, five years that he has left this is the, on his, he's uh, got on a, his he's, contract. He's got a modified no trade coming up, so we got and to, he has a, got to figure it out this summer. Yeah, if you're going to do something, you got to figure it out this summer. But this was the first year, of course, Matheson being a key piece, the key piece coming back in the Patrick Hornfist deal and not starting off great. The contract was awful. We were all very, very upset at all of this. But then, you know, he started to do what he does best. He showed that he's a great skater. He showed that he's a fantastic offensive defenseman. And he shored up his game on the back end. And it was helped out a lot by Cody Ceci. I think the two built off of each other. And that's the reason that they had such a good season at the end of it all. And Mike Matheson, listen, it wasn't a bad season. He actually played very well. He was a very good defenseman for the Penguins. But he's always going to be compared to not only that contract, but he's going to be compared to who the Penguins traded for to get him. And the Penguins traded Patrick Hornfist, who was a fan favorite, who was a multi-time Stanley Cup champion, who was a locker room favorite. And they brought back a guy with an egregious contract that even if he plays as great as he can play, it's going to be hard for him to mean as much to the city of Pittsburgh as Patrick Hornfist. So he's fighting an uphill battle, but he did a pretty good job in year one. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, for what it's worth, I think we have both had the discussion that Hornquist needed to be traded at one point or another. Yes. Um, it doesn't make it any easier for the guy coming back, though. No, it doesn't. But I think I think Matson he didn't play up to his contract, but he sure did play well enough that we didn't think about it every time he was on the ice. Um, True. I'm not... I'm not going to talk badly. Ma- I'm going to try not to talk badly of Matheson damn near at all in this conversation because mm-hmm. I want to think positively about how he really, um, yeah, I think me, I think we've talked to, I think Jay Fresh is the one who we said he was really gone back and forth literally in the same shift half the time um, on how good or bad he plays, but it's still a net positive, I feel like, because you got to really drive home the comparisons of who we had on this team last year in, in these positions, which were Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz, who, you know, yeah, Rutherford refused to um, talk bad of, of Jack Johnson in any way, shape, or form. He played better than Jack Johnson, and then Justin Schultz just couldn't do anything for us anymore, and at least Matheson could be out there doing something. Yeah. Um, and when Rutherford said it, whenever we got him, that he might be the fastest skater on the team now, holy hell, was he right? Yeah. Let's give him that. Let's say that Rutherford is right about something with this acquisition, that we got a faster defensive core with him. Yep. Now, you said multiple times throughout the season that Mike Matheson is indeed a forward. Do you still hold true <laughs> to that, or are you willing to accept that he's a defenseman? I'm willing to accept he's a defenseman for sure, but... Um, I mean, the guy just plays like a forward. I think it's a very Chris Letang style of play. It is, just, minus the, the long flowing hair. Mine, it, Letang's definitely got some more finesse to his. He looks a little more stylish doing it. 
yes, and Latang is also a much better defensive player than Mike Matheson is, which is why he's a much better player exactly. than Mike Matheson is overall. But uh, Mike Matheson, not going to be sleeping all too much the next couple of weeks, maybe even the next couple of months. But congratulations to him and his wife, Emily, who last week did have a little baby boy, Hudson Gray Matheson. So quick congratulations goes out to Mike Matheson and his wife on their newborn baby boy. Hopefully he gets to get back to a normal sleep schedule by the beginning of the training camp so he can get ready for year two with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But let's talk a little bit about the top pairing because we always say that this top pairing is one of the most underrated in hockey. And we say that they are constantly one of the best in hockey. Let's talk about how they did this season though, because it was a little bit different. Let's start with Brian Dumoulin. He had a really interesting season, injured again early on, but then coming back and towards the end of it, found kind of an offensive touch to his game for the first time in his career. He always seemed to score in big games, but he had a six-game point streak in April, his career best six-game point streak. And it was weird because we went through it for a little while and he kept scoring points and it was very weird. But other than that, he played back to what we expected Brian Dumoulin to play as if. Last year, he didn't play all that great. A lot of injuries last season as well, but finally this year, it started to look like you know, the best defensive defenseman the Pittsburgh Penguins have ever had. He started to look back to that level of play, and we really needed it, especially Chris Letang early on. Yeah, I was trying to look at because he doesn't score often, and he damn near hit a career high in goals. And, and it seems like every time he scores, the Penguins win. I'm trying to, like, find the numbers on that. But, I mean, just... His play was, yeah, it started off not that great. We thought maybe he's still injured from his injury in St. Louis damn near two years ago now. Because that's kind of what it seemed. He was still coming in slow, coming in hobbling, not, you know, looking his best. But then he gets hurt again. Okay, you're still losing your top defenseman. That's not good. Comes back and is just this new this new guy, basically. This new... Mm-hmm. Um, not again, not an offensive defenseman, but a new sort of touch to him that we've never really seen before. And it was very impressive. And I mean, we don't expect it to stay, but no. <laughs> anytime you can get out there and uh, score some pretty big goals, hell yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it's not even like they were just assists. I mean, four goals and 10 assists isn't bad, especially for him. I mean, it's no career high, for sure. But Mm-mm. put it this way, he played in 41 games even. That's half of a full season. Double that up. Yeah, he would be tied for a career high in assists, and he would have. I mean, he's one away from a career high in goals. So, yeah, full season. That that pace. That is a uh, career high for scoring. For him. Yeah, I don't think anybody can dispute the fact that this team, and especially Chris Letang is much better when he's on the ice than they are when he's off it. I mean, there was a stat that was going around. It wasn't even a stat. It was the Penguins record without Brian Dumlin was about just about 500 with a couple OT losses in there. But with Brian Dumlin, they were way far and away above 500. I think they were close to 750 when it came to points percentage when Brian Dumlin was in the lineup. So clearly the Penguins still need him. He's still only, I believe, 29 years of age or, or yeah. early 30s. <clears throat> 29. Uh, He's either 29 or 30. Yeah, 29. 29. So he's still pretty young. He still has his legs under him. So I would expect he comes back after an offseason where he gets to be 
healthy throughout the whole offseason, that's going to be huge for Brian Dumoulin coming into next year, his first full season, and hopefully four years, I believe it is. So let's talk about somebody else, you know, finish it off with the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll say the Pittsburgh Penguins legend because that's what he is uh-huh. on this team, and that's Chris Letang, one of the best seasons of his career in the 2020-21 season. He stayed healthy basically the entire year, only missed one game, scores seven goals, finished with 45 points in 55 games, and a plus-19 rating. And again, we say this every time we bring up the plus-minus statistic. We don't believe in it very much unless it's very high or very low. But when you look at the plus-19, which is Chris Letang's highest mark since the 2011-2012 season, where he got a plus-21 also, his plus 19 was his second best of his career. That's pretty telling of how Chris Letang played, especially at the end of the season, because his first month, similar to Evgeny Malkin, who we talked about on episode 53, was absolutely abysmal. It was some of the worst hockey we had ever seen him play. So for him to come back and get his statistics up to world-class numbers and career best numbers for Chris Letang, just kudos to him. And hopefully this is the Letang that we get to see next season, because a lot of people are saying of the core, his fall off is going to be the quickest and the most drastic. And we did, luckily didn't see that this season. Yeah, uh, it's he shocked everyone, I'd say. I mean, yeah, these aren't exactly career highs, but it's hard to get career highs in a shortened season. But being third on this team in scoring is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, just 38 assists. Yeah, he didn't put the puck in the net himself much, but... You don't exactly expect that from your defenseman, do you? I get he's Chris Letang, but it's, he's, I'm not expecting him to score every game. No, and if you look at it, he played in 55 games, so you have to think that there's about 30 games that you had to have to add in a regular season. He would get to like 10 or 12 game goals, which in a season is a little bit low. Usually he gets between 15 and 18 goals, but it's a pretty decent pace for him, especially considering... A couple games, he had two goal games. I think he had two two two-goal games in this season. One of them against the Islanders and the the other one. Yeah, it was both against the Islanders, actually. So, Chris Letang had a really good season. And my only question about him is, when is the downfall? Because we're all expecting this massive downfall. We thought, you know, this was might have been the season that John Marino took over his spot. That didn't happen (laughs) because John Marino didn't take any steps forward. We thought... Maybe P.O. Joseph is going to take it. What are we thinking? Is Chris Letang still the number one defenseman at the end of next season? Not at the beginning, because he clearly going into it is going to be the number one. But at the end of next season, will either Marino or Joseph be able to overpower him as as the most integral defenseman on this team? I think Letang still has it. He proved me wrong last season. I mean, I think just last season we all kind of went into it with some dark thoughts, or this past season. We went into it with some dark thoughts. We didn't exactly know what this core was capable of anymore. We were just, we just weren't sure. We weren't. I mean, now we're still a little unsure, but at least we have a little more certainty in certain things. And one of them is that uh, <clears throat> Latang should be fine to still be a number one at the end of this, at the end of this upcoming season, despite it him being. Oh, I don't have his age. Old. Despite him being older. Crosby's age. He's only 34. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think he could still hold on. I mean, if, yeah, he plays every minute of every night. Okay. Yeah, he, he averaged 24 this past season. Um, 
I expect that to continue. Just at least another season. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. I got. I got no more to say on it. I think he can really do it. One more year as the top guy. Maybe the scoring falters a little, but who knows? I mean, being on the top line, you're probably playing with, um, you know, playing along with Crosby and or Malkin quite often. So, I like his chances. It's intriguing that for a team that had six defensemen play in the same roles in the same position spots for the final two months of the season and into the playoffs, there's actually a pretty large amount of uncertainty as to what the top six is going to look like at the beginning of the season. So it could be set in stone the same way it is now. The Penguins could lose Cody Ceci. The Penguins could trade away one of Matheson or Pedersen. The Penguins could just flat out say Pedersen is benched because we think P.O. Joseph is better. We don't know what's going to happen, but the only thing that is usual certainty for the Pittsburgh Penguins on the blue line is Brian Dumlin and Chris Letang are going to be leading the forces in the top pairing. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up Dumlin. I did go through all of his goals only twice ever, and that includes playoff games because he only has one playoff goal. Two, sorry, but we won them in both. Only twice has Dumoulin scored in a game and they've outright lost. There's a couple of oh. they have, there's a couple of overtime losses in there, but mm-hmm. he has 15 career goals, and only twice have the Penguins lost in those games. So good things happen when he scores. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like the kiss of death for the opponents. If you allow a goal from Brian Dumoulin, you will not win this game. It's uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. He seemed to have chipped in on a lot of important games from what I saw in that too. He scored in game six of the Stanley Cup Finals in 2016. So, yeah, pretty important goals. <laughs> yeah, and then his second career playoff goal came in one of those Flyers games in uh, 18. He had a goal and an assist in that game. I didn't see which one it was exactly, though. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to close out this episode with our weekly Pens poll. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We talked to you guys in our first segment about our roster in review, Pittsburgh Penguins defense. Make sure you tune in this Thursday to episode 56 of season two, where we talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins goaltending. We'll talk about Tristan Jari and how he has his season, how his postseason affected him or should affect him. We'll talk about Casey DeSmith when he returns from injury. We'll talk about Max Legasse, and we'll also talk about some of the names that are surrounding the Pittsburgh Penguins heading into the offseason. Hint, hint, a little too Rask talk. But for right now, let's talk about our weekly Pens poll. Our poll this week was... Just simply, who had the better flow this season? Brandon Tanev or Jared McCann? Brandon Tanev won the poll with 62% of the vote. Jared McCann getting a reasonable 38% of the vote. Horwat, who do you think had the better flow? See, it's hard. Both these competitors came in just with the unexpectedness of it. Mm. They both had the shorter hair. Hell, McCann had a very high do. I don't know how to put it. I forget what exactly it's called. High do. A hairdo. He had a very high hairdo. <laughs> It's very up high. If you look at his old mugshot, I'm all over. If you look at his old uh, um, 
I was picture. unaware that Jared McCann was arrested. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, but no, if you look at his old uh, photo, it's, it's very high. You can just see it. It's got some height to it. It's got some depth. Uh, then he comes in with that, and that wasn't expected. Then you see Tandem did the same thing, although he had way less hair. Didn't see that one coming either. So they both kind of... Both competitors really had a, a little bit of a spice to them. You just weren't expecting it. A little certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah, I mean, we all knew Latang was growing it back. Then it's it was it, honest to God, it was kind of hard trying to pick all three of them apart at times. Gonna be real. <laughs> um, Latang and Tanevs were more similar than McCann. Let's, uh, McCann's got a little more brunette in him. Yeah, and it was curlier. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. When dry, yeah, yeah, not on the ice, covered in water and sweat. Um, Overall, for who had to be the best one, though, I think, you see, because they all, they both also have memeable pictures of themselves. I mean, you have uh, the headshot from Tanev that we all have seen a thousand times over. But McCann with that hat, man, that that low, all the way around hat, Mm -hmm. just... Yeah, it's hard to really make a pick. I forget who I did pick. Wish I would, would have pulled that up. Would have been better for uh, this. Originally, I had included... Originally, this wasn't about hair. Originally, this poll was made to say who has the better style, and Jason Zucker was also involved. Mm. But you know what? I decided I wanted to go with who had the best flow, and I excluded Chris Letang simply because he, he usually gets all the votes, especially you know going with the man bun for the headshot for Chris Letang this year. But... I, I personally picked Jared McCann because I think, you know, the curly hair and the curly flow coming out of the bucket, I thought that looked a little bit better than the Brandon Tanev. But either way, it's nice to see these two, you know, that produce on the ice. It's even cooler to see, you know, cool goals. If you look back at the pictures of Brandon Tanev's playoff goal, it's accentuated by the fact that he has the flow rocking out of the back of his hair. Hopefully, we see McCann do that a little bit more next season. But a fun little poll here in the offseason. Sometimes they'll go a little off the rails with the Pens poll because we don't need to be serious all the time. We'll talk about hair. We'll talk about style. We'll talk about music, as we did on last Thursday's episode. Yeah, it's also the offseason. I mean, what else do we have to talk about? Um, Until something happens. Yeah, exactly. And I see that I did vote for Tanev, and I guess that must have been because of the meme factor in there. Um, <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, that kind of took over a lot of Penguins Twitter for a while. So there's my official answer. So you took Tanev, I took McCann. Most of our listeners sided with you, but that's all right. I don't have to be right all the time, just most of the time. It's fair. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Horwat, any last words for the folks before we send them home for the first time this week? Uh, yes, thank you for continuing to listen, even though I can't remember words all of the time. Yeah, I'll have to go look. Maybe maybe, maybe Jared McCann was arrested at some point, <laughs> and you just happened to see his mug shot, as you claim to have. But uh, I highly doubt it, because Jared McCann is a nice young fellow, so I'm sure he hasn't been arrested yet. But yet. thank you guys for tuning in. What? what, what? Yet. Yet. All right. Well, I mean, you never know. All right. I haven't been arrested yet either. Neither have you. All right, let's end. Uh, you, you don't know, though. <laughs> you know I haven't. But let's end this. This is getting wild. <laughs> well, that's that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Thank you to everybody for following on social media and for subscribing on Apple Podcasts. That'll do it. We'll see you guys on Thursday. 
You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.